Father God, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for your word as always. Uh, we are a Bible church. We, we put our trust in you and what you've said through your word, the Bible. And we thank you for that. We pray for Rosa, Lord, and her husband as they uh, deal with COVID and, and their recovery. We also pray for Ken, Lord, and just uh, glad that uh, he's uh, feeling better now. And Lord, we want to also lift up to you our nation, our government, our leaders, those in positions of authority that they will do what is right in your eyes, uh, even if they have no idea what that is. And we, Lord, trust in you. We know that you would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if it was just five uh, righteous people there. So, Lord, we know that there's a lot more than that here. So we pray for your mercy and your grace on us. Pray specifically for those that have been, uh, that are mourning the loss of their sons and daughters as well from the terrorist attack there in Kabul. And we also pray for those recovering from what I know are very difficult and uh, horrific injuries, Lord. Also pray for the uh, emotional and psychological well-being of the troops that are there and those that have served in Afghanistan, Lord. We just pray that you will comfort them. Uh, pray for our service today and for our time together in your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. All right. So, oh, thank you. Appreciate it. I feel like uh, Napoleon Dynamite, and uh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Anybody get that, or it's just me? Okay, cool. All right, good. All right, so what's that? Okay, I'm going to lose the blazer because this is a little bit formal. So anyway, all right, so I got something exciting for us today. Uh, this guy got dropped on me yesterday, uh, but it's it's good uh, because I had to really focus. So here we go. I'm, uh, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. And just as a starting point, you still don't know what we're going to be talking about today. And I think once you uh, hear it, it's going to be exciting. So uh, Ephesians uh, 6, uh, verses 11 and 12. And I'll, I'll read that out loud here. And I think I'm reading from the NASV or something. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wills of the devil. Uh, we had just spoken about that a minute ago. For our wrestling, and this is the important part here, for our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual host or spiritual army of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what we're going to do today is we're going to study the doctrine of elect angels, of elect angels. So we were at Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, but Ephesians. yeah, but don't worry about getting there because I just read it and that's just our starting point. We're going to be skipping all over the place, okay? And it's going to feel a little bit like a fire hose if you haven't used to my style of teaching, but don't worry. The purpose is not for us to drink out of the fire hose. The purpose is to get wet. So I just want to just, just always get wet. You don't have to drink out of it, okay? So we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches about elect angels. So first question, what are elect angels? If I say elect angels, what do you think of? Well, like anything that's elected, some, something, something, someone that's been chosen. Chosen. So chosen angels. They were chosen for what? Chosen not to fall. Okay, chosen not to fall. We know from the Bible that there one third of the angels fell when Satan fell. Okay, 
So what we're studying is we're not studying the fallen angels or demons. We're not studying Satan himself. We're going to be studying today the doctrine of elect angels, okay? And I like to put two disclaimers right off the bat. None of this is original thinking on my part. Normally, if I had had a little more time to prepare, I would come up with my own outline. I'm basically going to be following Arnold's. And there's, he's got a book right now that's pretty good. I say pretty good because I actually like the manuscript better. But the book has all three of these manuscripts dealing with angelology, which is what we're talking about today. Satanology and demonology. You can get it on the Ariel website, or you can do the easy one, which is go to Messianic Bible Study number 73, which is available for free on the Come and See uh, over at the Ariel site, and that's what we're using today. So none of this is. Uh, you want to know more about this? You dig in it yourself. You can always ask me questions. Now let's hit some wrong views uh, on angels, and <clears throat> I imagine before we get into that, that some of you are going like. For goodness sakes, Tim, what does this got to do with the price of tea in China? Wait, because there's a point here that I'm going to make in about 15, 20 minutes, okay? And it's going to hit home, I hope, okay? So here's some wrong views about angels. First is one that's super uncommon, that they are merely emanations of God. The heck is that? Either permanent or temporary. Has anybody ever heard that? It's because you're not Jewish. If you were Jewish, you would have heard of that, okay? Um, so that's, uh, that's one wrong view, not common. The other one, and this is common, they're glorified human beings. Something happened, and they died, and they became angels. Wrong. The Bible never talks about that. They're a whole different company, a whole different group of people, okay? And the most common, I think, is angels don't exist. And what's interesting to me is that people that promote that are gender liberal Christians, you know? Now, here's, here's the thing, right? Uh, how many times in the scriptures is the word angel or one that denotes the idea of an angel mentioned? You don't have to get the number right. 100 times, 200 times? A lot. A lot. 273. Okay. 33 of the books of the 66 books of the Bible have a mention of the word angel. Isn't that cool? That's half the Bible. Okay. 108 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament. I think it's interesting that it's more in the New Testament, but... Um, we're not going to build any theology on that. But the most, the deal breaker for me is that Jesus taught that angels existed. Okay, but of course, the liberal mind has to go in there and says, well, Jesus was just indulging them in their little fantasy. I mean, that makes Jesus not a very good character, but so we're not even going to go there. And he mentions it in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he talks about angels. Uh, the names that are used to denote the word angel of course, they're not consistent throughout the Bible, so it's not just angels. So we have sons of God. We see that in Genesis chapter 6. I know that some people have a problem with that, but it's too bad. Uh, the sons of the mighty, or the sons of the mighty one, the holy ones, the watcher. You see that in Daniel, or the watchmen in Isaiah. Uh, stars. I think that's interesting. The word stars to denote angels, you see that in Job chapter 38, verse 7. And we're going to hit chapter 38, verse 7 here a little bit later. Okay, ministers, that makes sense. Hosts, which is an English translation for the word army, so an army. And of course, following that, we get the word uh, uh, chariots, something that moves swiftly. I think if the Bible had been written when there was muscle cars, maybe like a Camaro or something, I don't know. But that's, that's probably not relevant. Okay, and then finally the word Elohim, which is the word, the plural for gods, and but God in the little g sense, okay? Um, so, we looked at the, some introduction here. We looked at the existence of angels. We looked at the names of angels in the Bible. Now let's look at the creation of angels. 
the first thing we need to understand, let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. So Colossians 1, 16. And whoever gets there first, just read it out loud. So Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay. So what we see there is we can infer three things. And I'm going to just throw these at you. We're not going to spend a tremendous amount of time seeing why Arnold came up with these three. But I agree with these three. The angels were created. God created them. They're created beings. There's no question about that. They did not exist in all eternity. There was a point in which God created, created these beings. They were created simultaneously. In other words, all the angels were created at once. And once they were created, they, they cannot be destroyed. Angels don't die. We're going to look into that later, okay? Now, here's a, a critical one. We just said that we're going to look at Job chapter 38. So go to Job. And I've been reading an audio book that cannot pronounce the word Job, Job. It pronounces the word Job, Job. So it's Job this, Job that. I just wanted to strangle someone. It just drives me crazy. So let's look at Job 38, 4 through 7, okay? So Job 38, 4 through 7. And the question now is, when were angels created? So do you know the answer? When were angels created? In time, compared to when the heavens and earth were created, based on what you see there in Job. So Job 38, 4 through 7. Where were you when you laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, remember there's many different words to denote angels, there was one of them, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So what Job 38 is telling us is that before the heavens and the earth were created, angels were already, had already, were already in existence. And they rejoiced. And they rejoiced. Um, when we get here, we're getting a little ahead of the game, which is good. Um, so they have personalities, and they have an emotion. The only real emotion described in the Bible is joy. I think that's pretty cool. So, um, so we're talking about uh, the creation of the angels. We talked about the fact that they're created beings. We talked about the timing of creation. It's happened before the world was created, which, by the way, explains a lot of what happens in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and especially chapter 3. Okay? I mean, how, where was Satan in all this? Well... We're not going to cover that today. You're going to have to have me for another time, okay? They had the power of contrary choice. So they had the ability to choose something that went contrary to the will of God, all right? Who else had power of contrary choice? You guys remember? Starts with an A. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. They had the power. So there's this, there's this, this uh, doctrine and this theological thing that says um, confirmed and unconfirmed creaturely holiness. So... The angels and humans shared that and that they were unconfirmed in their creaturely holiness. When they were created, okay, they had the power contrary choice, and one-third of them chose contrary to what God's will was for them. Those that fell, the angels that fell, they continued to choose contrary to God's will. You follow what I'm saying? It's just that, that's the direction they're going. Now, as far as their position in relationship to Jesus, because Jesus is the right answer for every Sunday school question, right? In relationship to Jesus, where do the angels fit? Now, I know what you're going to tell me. Where do you think they fit? Here or here? Here, right? 
But what about in his humanity? What about what? In his humanity. Jesus is a human being. Is he above or below? He's just God. Aha. What's that? He was for how long? Just for his time on earth. Okay. Although they were serving him. How about we agree that there's, we're not totally sure about that, but I think that he is superior in his humanity and in his divinity as the God-man, because we can't separate Jesus' humanity from his divinity. You can't do that surgery. They're, they're both. For a li it's Hebrews, yeah. For just a little while, yeah. So I, I take that to mean a moment in time, but not all his time on earth. But I, I don't, that's splitting hairs. The point I'm trying to make is that right now, the God-man Jesus is superior to the angels. That's the, that's the important thing, okay? Uh, and it's, it seems like a little nitnoid, but it's an important distinction because it tells us a little bit about how we understand this concept of, the, of Jesus being both fully God and fully man. It tells us how much he humbled. Wow, <laughs> bingo, bingo. Um, they are superior to common man, right? So if you were to look at a hierarchy, it'd be Jesus, angels, and then us, all right? And us, so in terms of position. Now, the number of angels, how many angels? My dad used to have a joke about that, and I, couldn't, I can't for the life of me remember it, but it's something about how many angels can fit in the head of a needle and blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is Hebrews 12, uh, 22 says innumerable, innumerable hosts. So now here's something else. You've ever heard the doctrine of... Uh, Guardian angels? Yes. Is that biblical? It's biblical. So there's a biblical. So some people think that, well, if there are guardian angels, then there should be at least enough angels to cover every person that ever was and ever will be. But my question is this, who cares? There's just a whole bunch of them. That's, that's what I think we need to know, okay? Innumerable, innumerable. And we're gonna come back to that word innumerable later on, and I think it's gonna be a moment of joy, okay? So where do they live? But where do they operate? Everywhere. So they can go from heaven to earth. By the way, does that mean that Satan and his demons have access to the throne room of God? Satan did. Satan did. We saw it in Job. Hmm, that's interesting. Does anybody want to go over there and close that door so we don't have to hear? Okay. Uh, that's okay. Let, let, he's excited. Don't, don't, don't go over there. Don't do anything. That's awesome. Uh, so, um, where are we here? Okay, so the angelic abode is heaven. They can also operate down here. We see that there are some angels that have power over certain things, or at least they're, uh, they're given power over certain things. We see that in Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 16. We see fire in, in 14. We see water in 16. We, we have this mention of seven angels in the presence of God. We know that one of those, we know their, his name, Michael. Michael is one of those seven angels, apparently. I think that's kind of interesting. When angels appear, what do they look like? Well, first of all, let's answer the question, how do people see angels? First, let me ask you this. Has anybody ever seen an angel, not me? Is anybody else? Anybody? Well, admit to it. Okay, I haven't seen it either. Uh, now there's say in the Bible that, you know, when you entertain somebody, you could be entertaining the angels. Yeah, you don't know. Now, some people, uh, I had, there's a pastor friend of mine that he'll argue that that's something else. I think he just, he just doesn't want to, he just doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. But anyway. Um, <laughs> they appear as men in white. 
the appear as men, what kind of men actually, since you're getting ahead of the game here, but young men, young men, young men always young men, young, always young men. So I was going to do this. There's no hot cherubim. You know? There's no fat little baby cherubim walking around. Um, so there's three ways that they're going to be seen. Okay. One is in dreams. One is in visions. Oh, what's the difference? Come on. Dreams, you're sleeping. Visions, you're awake. So a dream you're sleeping, you, you, they're in your dream. Visions is you're awake, you know you're awake, and you're seeing something. Now, what's the difference between a vision and actually seeing them manifest? Well, I don't know, okay? Uh, I just know that people have seen angels, and they look like young men. Okay, we know that from the Bible. Their form is they always appear as young men, and that's very clear. No women. There's no women, and there's no cute little babies. There's no chubby cute little babies. There's just young men. Uh, the effect they have on people. Think of all the ones that you read in the Bible. What was the effect? What did people, how was their people's reaction they to They had to say, anything? fear not. Yeah. So if they had to say, fear not, that means they, they were scared. So I was, as I was preparing for this, I imagine right by that clock over there, if an angel appeared, you know, I'll be hiding probably back there. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what I would do. But fear seems to be the predominant thing. Now, so what have we covered so far? That angels exist, they're created beings. They have, there's different names in the Bible to describe them. That uh, angels are created beings in the, in the fact that they are created. They have this timing of creation. They have this power to choose uh, contrary to the desire of God. Their position relationship to Jesus. We talked about the number of angels. It has a whole bunch of them. Where do they operate? On heaven, on earth. What they look like. How do they visibly manifest? Their form is that of... Uh, of um, young men, and the reaction people have, their effect when people see them is fear, okay? And, and if you're still thinking like, hey, come on, Tim, Kabul has fallen. Yes, sir. In my life, mm -hmm. as I get older, mm -hmm. I don't always listen to young men because I don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> and your point was? <laughs> but I'm surprised... Nobody else ever seems to question that in the Bible. I think it has something to do with the fact that they don't look like, you know, they look majestic. They look powerful. Do you think? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, when the angel appeared at the tomb, he was dressed in raiment, white as snow. Yeah. But then there's other times where the two guys, hey, attention, men from Galilee or lower Alabama of Israel, don't be looking up there. Look over here at me. He's coming. You know, doesn't seem like they're very enthralled by that. And I think it's because it's sub, sub to Jesus' appearance. But you know, like they'd want to cook a meal for them and stuff, so they must look. Yeah, that, and that's a different one because that's a, some kind of corporal reality they have because they're able to consume food, but it's not flesh and bone because they're spirit. Oh, jeez. Or the man who well, I wonder if the fear is because you think it's a death angel or you think they're going to punish good, you. That's a good but one. But to Mary, they did not say, don't fear not. Uh, it just says she was troubled yeah. that he said the Lord is with you. I, I, I would like to, I think that she, I mean, that's just my opinion, you know. I think that there was something about that. There's something unique about Mary, though, in the way she responded to these things when you compare them to Zechariah, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, Zechariah, there's a whole history behind that, but. So that's what we've seen so far. Uh, we're going to talk about the personality of angels. And I think we're going to be able to cover most of this today. Uh, if not, we're going to do this in two parts. Uh, but we are going to get to the point where we make the big point. Okay? Still got, a, got 35 minutes here, or 30. Uh, the personality of angels. First question. I want you to put your thinking caps on. What requires someone, what, what are the requirements of personality? 
What makes personality in a person? What do they have to have? There's at least three things. A brain. A brain, so intellect, the ability to think. Communication. Communication, that's good. What else? Experience. What about emotion? Okay. Yeah. And the ability to choose, so the will. And these other things all play into that as well, but I think we have three major things. Intellect, all right, intellect, emotion, and will, the ability to choose. So those are things that distinguish somebody and indicate they have personality. So do angels have these things? Do they have these attributes? And if you look at 2 Samuel, you don't have to go there because I know it's kind of hard to swap back and forth, but 2 Samuel 14.20 speaks of the wisdom of angels. The wisdom of an angel. Hey, you have the wisdom like the angel of the Lord, okay, or the angel of God, not of the Lord, of God, to know all things that are on earth. So, Psalm 128. <laughs> it's not me this time. Okay, hey, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's a, hey, you guys are like, like one. Um, so, uh, so angels have wisdom. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty neat. So Psalm 148.2 says they have the ability to praise. Well, to praise requires intellect. You have to know what you're praising. Uh, Matthew 24, 36, they have the ability to know things. And here's where we're getting to something that I think is super interesting. Okay, they have, uh, Matthew 25, they have the ability to communicate requires intellect too. But let's go to Ephesians 3.10. So Ephesians 3.10. Okay, Ephesians 3.10. Now we know when you get there that there's different names that denote angelic beings. Okay, and one of them's one of them is rulers or authorities. Okay, so Ephesians three ten says so that so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known might now be made known to the rulers authorities in the heavenly places. So they learn from God's program and they learn it through the church. That that just blows my mind. Okay, so. The other one, and I want us to go there, uh, 1 Peter 1.12. So 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter's right before 2 Peter. So 1 Peter 1.12. I'm full of like just deep insights like that. Um, Master Captain Obvious. 1 Peter 1.12. Uh, so when you get there, have somebody, just have somebody read it, please. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What? There are things that we know that angels long to look into. I think that's just, it just blows my mind. I don't want to say anything else. Just leave that for you to just ferment in your mind. Okay? So they have intellect. They're learning things. Okay? They're learning things about us. They're learning things about God's will. Now, I want to take just a moment there to kind of give you a hint of what the main point of our study is today, which is actually angels is just a, a way to get to something else, okay? Is that there is a comfort in knowing that there are beings that live in the visible presence of God that don't know everything. You see what I mean? There's a lot of pressure, I think, with Google and with all the technology for that we've got to know everything. Or people get obsessed about, I gotta know everything I can know about something. It's like, well, wait a minute. You're always gonna be learning. Settle down, you know? <sighs> I think there's this calming effect. Maybe it's just for me. 
Maybe it's just for me, but I, I think there's a there's something comforting in knowing that angels long to look into things that I know a little bit about, and they know some things I don't know about, and 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 so forth and so on. So they have intellect. We're looking at the uh, personality if they have a personality of angels. So emotion. Job thirty-eight seven. Hey, we keep coming back to Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, by the way, the oldest one penned in the Bible. Okay, of course Genesis describes events that happened before Job, but Job is uh, viewed as the ancient book. Um, so Job thirty-eight and Luke fifteen ten. So you don't have to go there. I'll just highlight those for you. I read thirty-eight again. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, sh God shouted for joy. joy, and in Luke fifteen ten. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in terms of emotion, what emotion do they have? Joy. Well, if they have joy, they've got to have sorrow too, I'd imagine. I don't know. I'll get to ask them when you see them, okay? Uh, do they have will? Yes, they have will. They can choose to praise. Uh, they can choose to worship. Now... I recognize that we talked about confirmed creaturely holiness and unconfirmed creaturely holiness. If they're confirmed in their holiness, do they really have a choice? I don't know. Who cares? Just understand that they're exercising their will. And they're saying, hey, I will praise, I will worship. Um, and we know from Jude 6 that some of them chose to leave their proper habitation and did the sin that's accounted for in Genesis chapter 6. I'm not going to get into that. Now, we're gonna. Here's the. Here's the. Um, we're gonna transition now from the uh, from the personality to the nature of angels. So when we talk about angels, we know that they have features, they have qualities, they have character. Okay. So we know that they're created beings. Now any being that's a created being is inferior to the one that created it. Okay. So angels are not omnipresent. That means Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. Uh, they're not omnipotent. In other words, they don't have unlimited strength. Uh, we see that in both in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10. We uh, know that sometimes they need assistance. Jude verse 9 says that, you know, for this reason, Michael, the angel needed divine assistance. Isn't that just to blows your mind? We're starting to get to my main point here. The main point is that there's a world behind the one that we understand right here, a spiritual world. And if you go back to the original verse we read in Ephesians, there's a spiritual battle going on. A spiritual battle going on. And how is this encouraging? Don't worry, we'll get there, okay? But it explains, and I think that's, maybe I should make that point right now. The reason it's encouraging because it explains a lot what we're seeing today. There's a spiritual battle going on. This is a spiritual battle. Now, you know who needs that lesson? Probably not you as much as I do. I, I'm a very sensitive person and I empathize with what's going on with these guys over there, and it hurts me, you know? And I, when you get like that, you, get, you kind of send a sense of despair taking over you, like, hey, what's going on? So when I was asked to teach on this, I really struggled for a number of hours yesterday on what I wanted to teach on. When I got to this, I was like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. It's like, this is crazy, Tim. Don't do it. Like, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it anyway because I need to hear this. Okay, so they're not omnipresent, they're not omnipotent, they're not omniscient, they don't know everything, they're still learning, we already talked about that. They're not all-knowing. They, uh, they don't know when the Messiah is going to return, and they continue to learn. Okay, now, the good part is that 
we, can, we have this commonality with them. But the bad part, and this is also a good part, would be that Satan is not all that in a bag of chips. However, he, they, are, they are powerful. Um, they are powerful. And I, this is not on Arnold's notes here, but one thing I would caution us is when we're speaking of them, I, I was kind of a little flippant there when I said in a bag of chips, but the truth is, is that when it comes to Jude and rebuking Satan and all that, he says, may the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't even rebuke him directly. So I know that in evangelicalism, especially kind of like Southern kind of stuff, there's some, some binding Satan and all kinds of stuff like that. I would just stay away from that and let the Lord deal with that. Um, my father, growing up in Brazil, was a Presbyterian minister, and I remember one time him dealing with, you know, demonic things, and it's just awful. It's disgusting. It's terrible. Um, the idea that angels continue to learn, and I kind of alluded to this already, you know, if we were in heaven, I think there's an understanding sometimes that we would know a lot more than we know now, but at the same time that they're in heaven, they know things that we don't know. I think that's just fascinating to me. We know that uh, they are spirit beings, so that means they do not have a body of flesh and bones. So they don't have a body of flesh and bones. That's what to be a spirit uh, means. Luke 24, 39 says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So they do not have flesh and bones, but they have some kind of corporal reality because we, we saw that if we see them in a dream, you see them in a vision, but then they appear and they eat. So, I don't know. I just know what the Bible says, and that's what it says. Some kind of corporality. I don't know what that looks like. Any ideas? Any fanciful arguments to support or deny this? It almost seems like they can take on the form of the body. That's what I think. You know, I think of the, when they went into Sodom mm -hmm. and brought Lot out. And they were... I'm not sure if they were upset with the crowd, but they definitely wanted the crowd away. And I think they were upset with the crowd. They <laughs> did them. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at them, they immediately yeah. blinded them, and they shut the door. Yeah, so they can interact. I, I, just, I just find that all fascinating. Um, they're not limited to human concepts of space. So... We know that from Luke 8.30. You know, there was this uh, demon-possessed man on the other side, on the uh, uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee there. And how many demons did he have inside of him? A, a legion worth of them. Well, legion is at least 4,300 if you're a Roman history buff, or 5,000 or 6,000 if you include the auxiliaries. So I don't know. That's a lot of demons. They can occupy one person. Wow, that's scary. Another thing about the angelic body is that they do not reproduce after their own kind. So they're not a race. Okay, they're not a race. So they're a company. They're a company. They're not a race. So they're distinct from humans. And this goes back to that false idea about angels that we some people sometimes have that, oh, you die, go to heaven, become an angel, you know. Oh, he's such an angel. No, he's not. No, sorry. Must have been a, yeah. I'm not an angel. I mean, he's a real nice guy, but yes, sir. But, you know, God gives them tasks to do orders, and they go and, and they do, do it. it. And they understand exactly what that. They have an under. They, they, Which is similar to us. You know, we're commanded to go and yeah, and do different things. So there's some similarities. Definitely some similarities. I think if we had, if I if we put like on one side like compare and contrast, I think there's lots of similarities. Hmm. Um, I think there's comfort in that, isn't there? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way. But sometimes, you know, I I'm a sci-fi fan, 
And the idea that there's an other beings out there that are legit, they're not some product of man's imagination, but a creation of God that I, that I get to, I'm gonna to get to interact with someday for all eternity. That's pretty cool. It's exciting. Um, I, I hold that thought about the exciting because there's something here that I think is exciting too. I want to share that as well. Uh, they don't marry. Okay, so where are we here? We are, oh, the attributes. So they're holy because we're studying holy angels. Okay, <laughs> not all of them are holy. One third of them are the exact opposite of holiness, okay? And here's just, this is not on Arnold's notes, but I think it's important to understand this. God did not choose to save the fallen angels. Okay. Once they fell, they're done. That's it. And his sovereignty, he said, that's it. We're, that you, it's over for you. But he chose to save us, fallen humanity. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. I have no idea why God so chose to do that. Said, you know, angels don't die. No, they'd never die. Forever, yeah. Because they're spirit beings. What dies, our spirit lives on forever as well. The question is, where is it going to live? Eternally in the presence of God or separated from them? Separated from him, or them, if you include the angels. Which is the same place probably those fallen angels will be. Yeah, and, and I was going to kind of take a detour on that, but we don't have enough time for that today. But um, Jude discusses that and opens the door to a whole bunch of other ideas about how what happens when you die and you're not a believer. Uh, by the way, it's hell, just for the record. It's hell. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah there is no other place. Just, just to make it absolutely clear. <laughs> Turn me into Pastor Doug. Um, they have, they're powerful, they're powerful and mighty, they're superior to any man that ever lived, okay? Uh, Psalm 103, 20 speaks of that. Matthew 8, uh, 28, 2, how many angels were needed to roll away the stone? A hot angels, one. Maybe there were more than one, but only one was needed, okay? Who opened the prison doors for, for Peter? One. Who broke his shackles? One. So they're pretty powerful. Who struck Agrippa with a disease and boom? Eaten by worms on the spot. An angel. Okay? They're immortal, so they don't die. They're not capable of dying. This goes back to their this attribute spirits live on. Okay? Now, here's the most important thing because we're getting, I'm getting kind of excited. Hey, I want to see an angel. That sounds pretty cool. Don't worship them if you ever see one, and they'll stop you from doing it. Now, do you think a demon would stop you from worshiping him? Absolutely not. In fact, that's going on probably up here in Utah today. Because there's a lot of that going on, okay? Uh, so I think it's always important to go back. And we don't have to do all this today, but let's go back and look at what we've learned. So we've talked about the existence, the names, the creation of angels, the number of angels, where they operate in, that they have personalities. We looked at the nature, that they, uh, what do their bodies looks like, look like, uh, their attributes, you know, they have holiness, power, immortality. We're not supposed to worship them. Now, <clears throat> Arnold goes into this big, long thing on the organization of angels. And he uses the basis for that, Colossians 1.16, and he also uses um, Ephesians, I think, 1, and Ephesians 1.21. The, the bottom line is this, is that you were talking earlier about how angels get sent out to do different things. They have a hierarchy and structure. It's not just all the same, some kind of like a hippie angel commune up there. Okay, they have a hierarchy. Like an army. Like an army, yeah. Um, like a communication section, Gabriel, the, you know, infantry section, Michael, you know, they have that. So, um, but the one that I want to highlight is the concept of the chief priest. So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. So Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. And for the sake of time, I'm going to read it. 
Uh, so Daniel 10, 13. And remember, if you want to study this on your own, Messianic Bible Study number 73, free on the area website. You, you'll know more than I do, so just get in there and read it. Um, it says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. There's a lot going on here. So the chief prince is an angel who leads or rules over a nation. And we'll find out later that Michael is the one for the nation of Israel. Okay. Um, but there's both good and bad in here. Good angels and fallen angels. Okay. Um, now, how many different types of angelic beings there are? Notice the way I worded that. That's the key to the answer. How many different types of angelic beings are there? Three. You got three fingers up. Yes. Because sometimes I go like that and I'm at three. So we know that there are angels or common angels that are enough to scare us <laughs> to death, if you will. What are the types of angelic beings that God create? The Bible talks about. Well, there's the archangel. He's still a common angel. Oh, okay. A cherubim? And there's one more. Seraphim. Cherubim and seraphim. Ooh, okay. Yeah, we are going to get into that. <laughs> Just a little bit. So there's uh, three types of angelic beings. There's angels, there's cherubim, and there's seraphim, okay? So common angels, we know two of them by name. Now the Jews will say that there's a whole bunch more that they know by name. They're making it up, but it's, it's okay. I, I see where they got some of it from. The first one is Michael. What do we know about Michael? He's because he's the highest angel. He's the highest of the common angels. He's the chief of all those angels. And he happens to also be the prince of Israel. Yeah. He's the one in charge of Israel, which puts Israel among the first among the nations, you know? Whether we like it or not as Gentiles, we just need to kind of get over that, okay? Now, his name means he who is like God. Who is like God? Michael, Michael. Okay, he's the chief angel. By the way, he is below the, cherub, the seraph, cherubim and the seraphim. He's the head of these, the lower angels. Isn't that kind of interesting though? This is, I'm not making this up, the Bible talks about this. So he's the first, the prince of the, of the, of the angels, also the first of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the nation of Israel. The other one is Gabriel. His name means the mighty one of God, Gabriel. Just sounds kind of terrifying. You don't want to meet Gabriel in a dark alley. But of course it wouldn't be dark if he was there, right? Um, by the way, just on a side note, here's just something funny. Ever heard that expression like, hey, I don't want to meet the guy in a dark alley? I'm thinking, I want to meet somebody in a dark alley because he can't see me. I can probably get a better chance of escaping, you know? It's like, I don't want to meet in a like, dark and a lidded locked room, whatever. Okay, this never made any sense to me. But going back to Gabriel the angel, the mighty one of God, his main work is of that of a... Messenger? Messenger, exactly. He's a messenger. He talked to Zacharias and told him Zacharias to shut up for nine months and a few days. And uh, hey, you didn't believe me, so here's what you got. And he spoke to Mary, right? Uh, now we know that there are other angels as well that we don't know their names. So um, probably one of the most useless things to do is try to figure out their names. But people spend a lot of time trying to figure out their names. I don't know why the people do that. And then we have the seraphim, and they're kind of like the second order uh, below the cherubim. And we only know them from two books in the Bible, Isaiah and the book of Revelation. So Isaiah and Revelation. And, and I think these two books are kind of work as... Uh, like opposites of each other. Isaiah is so much about the coming of the Messiah is revealed in his first coming. And Revelation is so much about the second coming is revealed. And I find it interesting that seraphim are in there. Um, I'm just going to hit eight things that Arnold highlights here about seraphim. 
and see if you can detect the theme here. Unceasing worship of God, humility, purification of God's servants, worship in heaven, holiness and worship of God, praise and proclaim the holiness of God. They proclaim that men need to be cleansed in order to come to God. They'll be used for the final tribulation judgment. So if you put all those together, what I see here, and maybe you see the same thing, is it seems like they're in charge of worship. They're in charge of veneration of God. And they also are going to be used by God for these tribulation judgments. I find that, I find that interesting. And then we finally come to the cherubim. Now, we don't know how many angels there are, innumerable. We don't know how many seraphim there are. But we're pretty sure that there were five, were five cherubim. How do we know that? Well, we know that this throne room of God that we see in Ezekiel that moves around, you know, that chariot of God, was supported by four of these cherubim. Okay, four of these cherubim. And we know that the word cherubim means to guard or to cover. So, hmm, guard, cover. We know that Satan is referred is to an angel of light, also to the cherubim that covers. And apparently, Satan was a cherubim. He wasn't a common angel. So he is the highest order of God's creation. Funny that the highest order is the one that fell, isn't it? So I, I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on that. I'm just going to throw that idea out to you that there is these three. They have different appearances. It seems like the seraphim are pretty uniform in the way they look, even though they probably have distinctive features. But the cherubim seem to be different one from the other. They have characteristics of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. Uh, how much of that is symbolic, I don't, I don't really know, and I don't really want to spend that much time in it. What I will t tell you is this, is that we can make some deductions about the cherubim. And first is that they're, what I just said, they're not unique. They seem to be different from one another. Um, excuse me, they are unique. They seem to be different from one another. Uh, the second one is they're, they're associated with the throne of God. They're associated with the when Wherever the throne of God is, in the spirit realm, they're there. Okay? We have one missing and that's Satan, okay? Uh, they're very closely related to the Shekinah glory of God. So the visible manifestation of glory of God, that's where you're gonna see him. And they're closely related to God's presence. They have a lot to do with his character, because if you see God, it's just understand who he is, and they seem to be very swift as well. They can move around. And I think what I'm gonna do right now is very briefly, uh, do a, just again, I think reviews are always important. So how many different types of create, celestial beings have been created? We've got three. The first order is uh, the, uh, I'm going to call them the cherubim, possibly five. One of them fell. We have the, the seraphim. They seem to be mostly related to worship. And then we have common angels that work both as messengers and as the army of God, if you will. Uh, the second, and let me take a quick look at my notes here because I want to make sure that we get into something here that I don't want to miss. Give me just one moment. This might be a good place for us to break. Yep. Give me one second. Okay. So <clears throat> I said earlier, and this is where we're going to break. The next, when, I, when you have me here next time, whenever that happens to be, we'll get into what the angels actually do. Okay. Um, but I don't want to go into that today because once we start that, it would just be an odd place to break. But when we, when we get together next time, we'll, we'll look at what angels actually do. But when I was preparing for this, one of the motivations for talking about this was this. We are living in very hard times right now. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether times are individually hard for us, they're hard times. Okay? Would anybody want to disagree with that? Nobody. Okay. 
It's easy to lose perspective with all the bad news around us. Whether the bad news is right next to us in our own families or in our relationships or at our work or in the country and the world, okay? It's easy to lose perspective with all the bad news around us. It's important to remember, and this goes back to what we read in Ephesians 6, okay? That there's a spiritual world beyond what we can see. So if we could kind of open up the fabric of time and space and step into the spiritual world, we would see that it's glorious. But in it, there is good and there is evil. And there's a battle raging all around. And that battle is very real, but it's glorious. One day, we are going to see it. One day, we're going to see it. And what will be our reaction? We'll rejoice. We'll experience joy and we will worship together with the angels. So every time an angel's ever appeared, the relationship's always been like this. Here's the angel, here's the human receiving the message. You know, there's a few times where an angel guides, you know, Ezekiel and points out this and that and the other, but it's always one like this. But when we die, or the rapture, and when we're in heaven, and we're together with them, it's gonna go like this to this. We're still different, but we're both being looking at what? at God and worshiping Him. So one day we will see it and rejoice and worship with the angels. And we need to share the gospel with people because we can understand that there's hope outside of this present reality. You know, I don't know if you guys saw, there's a, just a huge uptick on suicide among veterans and people calling the helpline. And the reason is because they've lost hope with this and they're looking for something else. Well, guess what? We got the answer. And uh, so we don't start just talking to people about angels. That's not how we do that. But I think it's important for us to know that the God we serve is huge, mongously huge, bigger than the whole universe. And he's created, in addition to us, three other, form, three other beings out there. Isn't this, is, this, is this just me? Is this something to be excited about? So in the middle of all this mess, just look up at God, look up at Jesus, look up at the cross, and realize that, hey, there's a whole, this is not the end, okay? There's this, all this stuff going on right here, but there's also a battle out in the spiritual world, and we know who's, who's the victor in the end. So I think it's a good part for us to stop. Uh, what we'll look at next time, when, when there is a next time, I don't know when I'll be back, but I'll, I'll be back. I'll pick up right here with the works of angels, and... Uh, and we'll, work, we'll look at the work of angels in relationship to the Jesus, to among the nations, among unbelievers, among believers. It's, it's pretty interesting. So, um, and it's also very encouraging. Questions, comments, observations, gripes, complaints, heretical doctrines you want to you discuss? Or, or good doctrines. Anything? Was there anything on there that kind of like, hmm, I don't know about this? No? Come on, Bob. There's got to be something. <laughs> I read the book, um, Angels, Angels, Angels by Billy Graham. Uh-huh. And I haven't. He, he believes that in Scripture, when it talks about clouds, that is a form of angels. Um, mm -hmm. Jesus went up into a cloud. There was mm -hmm. a cloud that led the Israelites. And he believes that angels were right there, mm -hmm. leading them through the wilderness. Well, uh, so that cloud was also a fire by night, right? Right. 
And yeah. seraphim is very close to fire. Yeah, seraphim. The word for seraphim is actually the burning one. Seraphim is the plural for seraph. Seraph is burning ones, so the burning and ones. Cherub is very close to chariot. So when you think of the hmm. the um, flaming chariot that Elijah hmm. went up into heaven with. That, that's that reference that we made. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't take it that. I take the cloud to be the Shekinah. And the Shekinah is a visible manifestation of God's presence. It, but the Shekinah glory also was in the tabernacle. Yes, it was a, it was a cloud there. So what I see that as actually the visible manifestation of God's presence, not a, of angels. But, and I also think that uh, who led the people was actually Jesus, was at the Ophany. So it was the angel of the Lord, which is an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus. Now, I, that's a great observation, though. So, I, so you know, Billy Graham knows now, so he can just mask him. But you can't back like, hey, can you edit my book? And, uh, that would be funny. But I, I, that's what I think. I I'm not think saying it's very interesting. It is very interesting. Just think that way. And, yeah. And that the people were right there with angels to protect mm-hmm. them. So here's uh, just though we got a couple of minutes. Let's make this uh, go along those lines. Who delivered the law to Moses? The 613 commandments. Trick question. Who delivered the law to Moses at Mount Sinai? Of course, you're going to say God, right? Well, God delivered them all, but how? What does the Bible say about that in Deuteronomy 33.2? I think it's 33.2. Don't... So in 33.2, if it, that's correct reference, it, it talks about the presence of angels there at Mount Sinai. But in Galatians, is it Galatians or the book of Acts? Let me look at my reference here. It talks about that the law of Moses was delivered through intermediaries, through angels. So what was it? Was it God or was it angels? Well, what are angels? Angels are God's ministers, right? So angels were involved in that process of giving the law at Mount Sinai. Isn't that interesting? They didn't create the law or make the law. They were just a messenger. They're just a messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. So that's, that's interesting. The, the reason I think that ties in with that is that there's, do I think there were angels in the camp of Israel? Absolutely. There were garden all around it. You know what I mean? Uh, we know that the seraphim, uh, the, the flaming one, uh, yeah, seraphim is the flaming ones. They clearly were. By the way, what was over the Ark of the Covenant? Two angels. What, common angels? Cherubim. Yeah, cherubim. Some people think there were seraphim, I believe, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Bottom line, they had wings and common angels do not have wings. Misconception there. They do not have wings. These had wings. Why do they need wings? I don't know. It's confusing, isn't it? Why is it like, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> any questions? Um, one of my favorite Bible stories is Elisha telling yeah. God to open his servant's eyes and then oh, they yeah. see the whole <laughs> camp of God surrounding them and that we're always in two camps. The one we can see physically and the unseen realm. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great summation of what, what we just discussed today. Just remember, in the middle of this mess, in our camp, there's another camp, and it's surrounded by powerful beings, and they're on our side. Amen? Amen. Let's briefly pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this time together, and we look forward to another opportunity to get into your word and see about these uh, beautiful beings that you created that are um, that share with us in the joy of salvation and also in worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.